0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS podcast. Simon Alicia here with you, and it is great to have you back. And I'm joined by a special guest again. I'm joined by Sandy Carter, who is the AWS VP focused on enterprise workloads. Welcome back to the podcast, Sandy.
1: Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be back.
0: Uh, it's great to have you back here because you uh, you published a uh, an article, a blog post that got a huge amount of attention from those, I guess, outside of of Amazon to some extent, because many people have asked new Amazonians, what's it like to work at Amazon? And so you wrote this really interesting article called Seven Valuable Lessons from a New Amazonian. And, um, Sandy, I can't believe it's over 100 days since you've joined us because it feels just like yesterday, doesn't it?
1: I know. You know, when I was at reInvent, people kept asking me, how long have you been here? And it just felt weird talking about how long I've been here. But it's great to be here for sure. And it really is cool to be on the inside of one of the world's most innovative companies for sure.
0: Yeah, it, it is a little different in the, in a lot of other organisations when you join, you're kind of the the new person for like the first six months to a year. Whereas here, I think you sort of qualifies a new person for maybe three weeks. <laughs> it's like someone else is newer. Yeah, it's like
1: it's true. In fact, the other day someone walked in and they were like, "Yeah, I've only been here a month. So I'm the new guy." And there was like two more hands popped up and said, "No, we've only been here in two weeks." <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, you're yeah, <yeah>, not new.
0: <laughs> so let's let's look at some of these lessons because they're really interesting and I think they they illuminate a lot about what it's like to work. At 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 Amazon and and at AWS and and give some context that people might not have previously had. Um, So I'm going to start to pick out some of these points you called out. And one thing I really liked was the the concept of a personalized launch plan for success. Maybe talk to us about that one.
1: Yeah, I thought this was really cool because, you know, I've worked at a lot of different companies and I've been launched into companies in different ways. But this was like having a marketing plan just for me. Um, It included – which was really valuable, a lot of great links and, and different videos that I needed to listen to as part of the self-service culture here, but also who I needed to talk to and uh, you know who I could strategize with and who I could brainstorm with, provided me with a mentor so I could get up to speed and encouraged me to ask questions, um, especially early on, so that I could be more successful and learn and, and absorb just as much as I could. I thought it was just such a great attribute to Amazon, that they do these very customized, very personalized launch plans. I was um, actually having dinner with one of my friends. She had come on board in another role, and her launch plan was very different, as it should be. So it's not just cookie cutter, very personalized, and I think um, taken very seriously. You know, my manager kept asking me, "Hey, have you finished, you know, all of the items on your launch plan yet?" It was pretty amazing to me.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very uh, useful mechanism. And as, as uh, many listeners know, we talk about mechanisms a lot here at Amazon. Um, but I can certainly speak from being a hiring manager myself is that we spend a lot of time on those plans to make sure they're right for the individual. Um, I guess because you know we're, you know, we want to hire builders h- and let them build, we need them to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I just hired two new exceptional people that I'm going to be launching and I'm spending a lot of time on the launch plan mm. because so much mm. time was spent on mine and I think it made me very successful or as successful as I could be, uh, I want to make sure that I'm doing the same for other employees. And, and I love that too about Amazon, right? That you see these best practices and then it makes you want to copy them because they're so helpful.
0: Exactly. And it's, it's, a, it's about constantly raising the bar. And speaking of which, you, you raised a really interesting point in the article about uh, the Prioritization of rewards and also constant improvement. And you talked a bit about what Charlie Bell does in the uh, the weekly operational review. So maybe shed some light on that one.
1: Oh wow, this was this was incredible. So I got invited to this operational review, and I was like, should I go? And they're like, yes, you've got to go to this meeting because this meeting really personifies what our culture is really like. And so you know, I went. There's like. Three hundred engineers, two hundred engineers in the room, more on the phone, and um, in this one particular meeting, they honored this one engineer who had done some incredible things. And of course, you know everybody's plotting. You know, Charlie Bell, the Charlie Bell is is you know talking about all these great things, but then he stopped and he said, "You know, I really love what you did here, but how can we do this better across the organization?" And so it kind of it, it was. Very much praise felt it wasn't a you know you did a great job, but it was you did a great job now let's see how we can leverage this across the organization and this process really does yeah, that, happen every week. I'm sorry, go ahead
0: yeah that yeah that that scaling is is really important and and that that review meeting i think is is a fascinating thing because it really is a discipline around how the organisation is run from an engineering perspective and it, it just constantly amazes me how, much, how many results come out of doing it that way in that we have, you know, very high quality outputs, we have high functioning teams, we have a lot of sharing of information um, and, and it's only possible because people actually come together and share information with one another and, and share yeah, what they've learned and, yeah, and hold and each other accountable.
1: And it's not, you know, no one yells or screams. It's not like, oh, you did this wrong. It's mm-hmm. it really is a learning culture, this continuous learning, this deep dive as part of the leadership uh, competencies. You know, um, this reinvent and simplify. All these really do pop out. Um, and these leadership principles are really lived. And this is just a great example. I was I'm so impressed with the meaning. Um, I try to join every single week. It happens every Wednesday. I try to join every single week just to absorb the culture and to see what's happening and to learn. I mean, it's it was just mm. magnificent experience, I must say.
0: Yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. Now, one of the other elements that um that we touched on just then is is of course customer obsession and the leadership principles. And most organizations say they're they're customer obsessed. And certainly we have our our goal to be the Earth's most customer-centric company. Um, but you know, talk is cheap. Uh, how is this made real within the Amazon context? From what you've seen,
1: well, this one was the best because I love talking to customers. I love listening to what they need, but this is really again a mechanism for how you take those listening sessions and all that data, and how do you um, you know build something for those people who've taken the time to give you that feedback. So I, in the article, I I know I gave a story about my first press release, which is part of our kind of innovation is to work backwards from the customer. And so to work backwards from the customer, I talked to about 40 clients that we had. I talked to about 60 partners. I did a little customer survey so that I really understood what these companies wanted and what we could deliver. And then we actually delivered a couple of these at reInvent just recently, and they got rave reviews. And it's no surprise that they do because we're really obsessed with customers. We're not customer-centric. We're really customer-obsessed. We we do things that really drive that. And I was fascinated, you know, as I listened and learned from Andy to hear that 90% of our features and our functions actually come into the business this way. It's not just a marketing thing. It's a real thing. And uh, for me, that just really got me fired up about always listening and always learning and always prioritizing the customer really helped me to make customer obsession very real.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting because it, it sounds like a sort of self-evident thing of like, hey, you know, you know, executives, senior managers, leaders, everyone in the organization should get it and talk to customers. But these people uh, have, you know, very busy senior roles, doing lots and lots of things. But what I've seen without fail in the the senior levels of Amazon is that all of those executives get out and are with customers at an insanely high amount. And it means that when they're doing their internal meetings, they'll often be using examples from customer conversations they've had recently. I think it's a very healthy way to test, you know, are we going the right way? Are we doing the right things? Are we indeed customer obsessed?
1: Yeah. And you know, Simon, I think this is really interesting. So I do a lot of work with startups as well as enterprises. And in the startup scene, you know, startups are so customer focused. That's how they innovate so fast. Um, that 80% of an executive's time in a startup is spent talking to clients. But as companies get bigger, that number falls to about 20%. And that's really what this principle or mechanism to me represents. It's just a reminder that if we're going to stay nimble, and we're going to stay fast, and we're going to stay true to customer obsession. We can't be just talking to customers 20% of the time. You've got to be obsessed and talking to them every day um, so that you're getting that constant input. So that was really – that's so exciting to me, I have to say. Yeah,
0: it's a, it's a cool one. Now, another one that's, that's really interesting is – and this, this happens a lot for people, particularly you know executives and senior folks who join Amazon – and they've probably spent a career where they've really honed their ability to put together a really good board briefing, a PowerPoint deck, a presentation, they can deliver it with aplomb and with professionalism, they can get their point across. Uh, and they come to Amazon and it's like, well, there are no PowerPoints. Um, you'll be sitting down and writing a narrative And um, it's a very different experience, and I think it's a positive experience. But tell us about your experience.
1: (laughs) It really is true, man. I was the queen of PowerPoints, I have to tell you. Uh, But I had also written five books, so I love to write. So when this whole idea of this, you know, how do you get down to critical thinking? How do you really get there? Um, You know, I was asked to write this six-page narrative to describe – what, th- what the different opportunities were, what the return on investment was, you know, and how you kind of weave your way through that. Um, it, was, it was really amazing because it really gets you to push yourself to go deeper and to really understand the challenges and what you might do to solve them. Uh, but it was also great when you get into the room, a little bit nerve wracking at first, I'm sure for you too, Simon, you get in there, <laughs> the meeting's an hour long and everybody's sitting there quietly reading and it's, it's a little freaky. But once you get used to it, you know it It puts everybody on the same playing field. Everybody has the information. Uh, I used to be so frustrated. I would come into a presentation and I would get to chart four. Someone asked me a question, I'd say, oh, wait to chart 10. Or someone would say, oh, just skip ahead to chart 10. And then you'd, you'd miss all the great data that you needed to see chart 10. Well, in this way, you don't have to do that. You get that deep analysis. You get the you know, the problem and the potential solutions and the thought process that went into it, for me, it just was an incredible process or mechanism to go through to really get to the right level of critical thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's interesting how that process forces you, if if you've got an idea, to really more deeply think about it than you thought you were thinking, if I could put it that way. So, you know, we think, I'll go and put a debt together, I'll get some data, it's all good. Uh, when you've got to write a narrative and you know that people are going to look at that critically and deeply, it it forces you to think about your idea better and challenge your own ideas, and and the other thing it takes off the table is the the concept, I guess, of charisma. You know, there's 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 many people we've met in our careers who we know if they walk into a room with an idea, they'll probably get it across because they've got a strong personality or they're very convincing or they know how to negotiate, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of goes out the window because people are analyzing what's in the narrative and are focusing on the idea, which means that maybe people whose ideas wouldn't have got up in other organizations can get up here.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's kind of personality neutral. It neutralizes that personality, although some of your flair still comes through in your writing. But you're right. I mean, it's a very data-driven process and it causes you to look at things very logically um, and I've actually completely switched my opinion after I start writing something. I start looking at the data. And I'm like, wow, what I had originally assumed is not right. So it really causes yeah. you to go through that motion as well, right?
0: Totally. I think I think everyone who's written a narrative, at least one narrative, has had that experience of going, wow, everything I thought was the case is not right. I have to reframe That's what right. I'm talking about.
1: <laughs> it's so true. So true.
0: Now, you used in the, in the article, you used, dare I say, a buzzword, which is innovation. It's the word that everyone likes to talk about. But you talked about focus and innovation. What did you mean by that?
1: Well, you know, one of the first um, narratives that I went through, um, what I really loved was when people asked me about the narrative, they were challenging me to be more innovative and to think bigger. And I was thinking to myself, you know, how many times a day in a normal company are you asked to think bigger, think more disruptive, to think uh, more innovative? It's, it's not very often. Probably more, I've asked, been asked that question more here at Amazon than any other company I ever worked for. And so for me, it was about and it's not just innovation to innovate, because we all know companies that come up with lots of great ideas. But this was about how do you innovate with a focus to drive value for a client. And I, I really love that. Um, mostly because I had spent a lot of time before I came to Amazon in artificial intelligence. And, you know, just looking at artificial intelligence, it's really cool. But if you can't do something with it, then what value is it? So I love the way, you know, at reInvent, I had Just Eat talk about how they're using their enterprise workloads with Alexa, and how they're driving questions for their customers who are people who are ordering takeout food, they have a 5.5 billion pound business around that. And so it's not just technology for technology's sake, or innovation for innovation's sake. It's really taking these innovations and focusing them on a customer problem, make sure that they're going to be used and consumed um, as you move forward. So for me, that's the real difference. I had innovated some really cool technology and lots of other companies. But being able to take that innovation and focus in it and hone in it and on a use case and a persona and getting value out there for the customer, I thought that was really unique. Again, not not like, you know, brain surgery, but very focused, very methodical, and very much mechanized.
0: Exactly, exactly. It's about getting it into the hands of customers where they can test it and, and tell you whether it's any good or not. And that's that feedback loop again that, that feeds back into the next level of innovation as well. Absolutely. And, um, and and one of the other things you pointed out was was around diversity. And that's always been a challenge in the IT industry and certainly something that um, a, a lot of organizations are working hard on. I'd love to get your perspective on what you're seeing, and what's working.
1: Yeah. So, I I will tell you, you know, one of the concerns that I had coming into Amazon was, you know, I'm a woman, of course, and, you know, would it be just like a big bro culture here, Uh, or was Amazon really serious about leveraging diversity and diverse ideas? You know, it's one thing, Simon, to recruit somebody, but it's another to make them feel included, And so, you know, when I jumped in, it was very much, I noticed that it wasn't just about recruiting diversity. It was really about making diverse talent feel accepted. And that's just not me as a woman. It could be someone who comes from another country or, um, you know, is an underrepresented minority. So I was really, really impressed by the focus um, and I loved at reInvent, you know, we hosted a, a diversity track for the first time this year. We, uh, in Warner's keynote, he had all women speaking except for him on the stage. Um, for our tracks in our EC2, we all had a woman as part of that, a woman customer speaker. Not because we just wanted a woman. We wanted someone who was talented, who could tell the story. But we also wanted to showcase that, that diversity that is out there. Um, and then the other thing that I loved is I, I'm on the board for Girls in Tech. And uh, almost I started and we had this big conference and Amazon jumped in and sponsored it. Uh, we sponsored some of their fundraising. We've been doing some of the coding classes. Um, I just love the way that Amazon invests, not just for the short term, but also for the long term. They are investing in you know young girls and millennial women now. Because in the future, they're going to be great talent for everyone in the industry, not just for us, but for everyone. So I'm very impressed. I know that there is much more to come, but I'm very impressed with the seriousness with which Amazon takes this. And I think this is why they get such great innovation, too, because diversity breeds innovation.
0: It does. And you're right about the long-term thinking. I mean, I'm a a parent of two young girls who might get into IT one day, might not, depends what they want to do. But um, we recently ran an event in in our Melbourne office around girls in tech as well. We brought in a number of uh, classes from different schools around the region to get their hands on some technology, understand what it's like to be in the sort of STEM world. And it was just really gratifying to see the effect that it had as well. And you can sort of see that next generation coming through, which is pretty exciting as well.
1: I agree. And having role models for those those young girls, I think is going to be really important. And just the fact that it's a serious topic, it's not just you know a checklist item for me, Simon, was very important for me feeling included and for me loving what I do
0: for sure for sure now you you teased another blog post you're going to write on uh, which was about small decisions having big impact. So I think it's a, it's a fun little story about your your sort of uh, how you came to come to Amazon.
1: Oh yeah, this was really interesting. So I was actually flying in from Japan and a call a, a, a dear friend, he wasn't on on my in my company, but he was doing a major conference called Tycon and they had lost a keynote speaker. So he asked me, would you come and do the keynote at 9 a.m. on Saturday morning? I was flying in from Japan. I wasn't supposed to even get in till 2 a.m. in the morning. I was just exhausted. And, uh, and that, and I said yes, because it was the right thing to do. Um, and that was actually how I ended up getting my job offer from Amazon was doing that presentation and, you know, not just bailing because I had flown in the night before. And I do think that. That these small decisions sometimes have big impact on your life. Like, let's say I I had said, no, I wouldn't be here. I don't think today um, at Amazon, I'd be at another company. Um, And just thinking about, you know, on an airplane the other day, I was sitting on the airplane and someone asked me to switch seats. And they had asked two or three people and no one wanted to switch. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll switch I ended up sitting next to a CIO from a Fortune ten company, had a great discussion, and now it looks like they're going to be moving forward with Windows on AWS. That's a small decision that has this <laughs> big impact, right?
0: Exactly. Um, I, I think I think I've also just heard it described in a different way, which is that 90% of success is just showing up.
1: <laughs> I think so. And be sometimes there. <laughs> and sometimes I think doing things that Are humble, and and I think that's really where this comes from. You know, if you think about it, like if you met Andy or Charlie on the street, you never know the tremendous success they have because they're so humble. Or you know, having someone, Simon, you know, ask you, "Can you switch seats with me? Because I need something for my for my daughter. I need I need to do this differently." Or would you come and be a keynote because I lost my keynote speaker, and I know you're only going to get two hours of sleep, but would you do that? I think being a just a good person and a, and a humble person like you're never too good um, in my mind is really important and I, I love that this culture also runs through the DNA of Amazonians you know we're not we're not flashy we're not showy we're not doing it for us we're doing it for the customer and uh, I do think that this is really important and I actually I actually have a blog half written talking about how this type of attitude, Really does bring great success, um, I think, in the long run.
0: I, I definitely agree. I think it's 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 kind of like uh, one of the best kept open secrets of how you can do this with uh, hiring builders who want to build in a particular way along a line of strong leadership principles and giving them the space to operate. And um, one of the side effects of that, and you're right, is that you know everyone is very humble because. It's kind of always someone much smarter than you in the room. <laughs> so it's sort of very, no, one, no one's a, a big fish in the little pond here. Everyone's sort of like, wow, I can't believe I'm in the same room as this other person. But they feel the same way. So, it's, it's kind of nice.
1: And, you know, the other thing that I've noticed is, you know, there's there's these, um, these tools out there that you can run and say, okay, for this company, where has innovation sprung for, from? And typically, it's very much centered at the very top of a corporation. Um, A lot of innovation is driven from the top and then pushed down from the bottom. But if you look at Amazon, you know, it really is driven from lots of people. So if you look at the Amazon innovation map, it would be driven from lots of people, which is a lot of small decisions adding up to create tremendous success in the marketplace, having a big impact just from those little decisions that are being made. Um, And that's why I thought this was so impactful and why I wanted to do a a second blog on it, because I don't think people recognize the impact of smaller decisions. I think they recognize the impact of big decisions, but of smaller decisions that have equal impactful um, resonance in the marketplace. I don't think they always recognize that. And I do think that is something that Amazon does really, really well.
0: For sure. For sure. I agree. Well, we're out of time. So, Sandy, thanks again for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Thank you so much, Simon. It was great to be here.
0: That's great. And we'll link to the uh, the uh, blog post in the show notes. And as ever, it's great to have our listeners with us. And we do love to get your feedback at AWS Podcast at amazon.com. And until next time, keep on building.